0: Welcome to the Speaks Exchange Podcast with your host, Donald Taylor. As a renowned learning and development industry expert, as well as chairman of the Learning and Performance Institute, Donald sits down with experts from around the globe to talk business communication, learning technology, language, digital transformation, and engaging, upskilling, and reskilling your organization. This podcast is brought to you by Speaks, the first intelligent language learning platform for the digital workplace. Listen in and you might learn a thing or two. Welcome to this episode of the Speaks Exchange podcast. I'm your host, Donald Taylor, and on this episode, we have with us not one guest, but three, Simon Brown, Paul Ashcraft, and Garrick Jones. They're the authors of a new book, The Curious Advantage, published by Lakey. We'll have the route to that, the URL in the notes. Please, gentlemen, can you introduce yourself, Simon?
1: Hi, Don. Thank you for having us. Uh, thrilled to be here. Uh, I'm the Chief Learning Officer at Novartis. Uh, Novartis is a focused medicines company of about 105,000 people based in
2: Switzerland.
0: Thank you. Simon, Paul.
1: Hi,
2: hi, Don. Uh, Great to be here. So I'm Paul Ashcroft. I'm with Garrick, one of the co-founders of the Ludic Group. We are a digital transformation consultancy, helping companies all over the world, uh, including Novartis, make the shift to digital. That's that's something which I know from talking with people, a lot
0: of people are concerned about at the moment. I'm guessing you're pretty busy. Garrick, good to have you with us.
3: Hi, Thanks, Don. Um, yes, we have been busy through the lockdown, which has been pretty bittersweet. But um, I'm Paul's partner and, and co-author with, with Simon, as you know. And if there's anything to add to what Paul said is that, is that I'm a musician and um, I'm mostly compose and, and uh, think of most things in terms of music. Including digital transformation? Including digital transformation. I can talk at length about sequencing <laughs> and, 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 and parallel processing and the composition process, which is not unlike the curiosity
0: process, we think. I can sense there may be something there, material for the future. But we are here together for a short amount of time with our guests listening to this podcast. Let's crack on with our view of curiosity, and particularly looking at curiosity in relationship to learning. Garrick, how would you define curiosity?
3: We think of curiosity as that specific state of being in a state of wonder, and wonder if, and wonder what, But more than that, it's also about doing and learning by doing. So this combination of I wonder what that's about and then going there and learning for us is what curiosity is all about. We think of it as kind of having an attitude of wonder and a spirit of exploration. It's where you learn and choose to do new things, maybe put yourself in uncomfortable positions and really take on new knowledge that expands your context and expands your awareness. It's a thing that kind of drives us and moves us forward. But for us, it's it's very practical. It's it's very based on not only wonder but
0: doing and learning. Okay. So there's a lot in there. And by the way, if you're a non-native speaker of English, when we're talking about wonder here, it's W O N D, not W A N D. Very difficult to hear the difference if you're not a native speaker. Sometimes we can wonder about things. We can also perhaps just notice something, though. So what's the difference between having that feeling of wonder and excitement, if you like, and just saying, oh, yeah, that thing which was in one state yesterday is in a different state today. What's the difference then?
3: I think that, you know, the big difference is that it's something you want to know about. There's this kind of motivation of, oh, hang on, this is something new, something I'm interested in, and there's a, a motivational aspect to it. Right. You know. You you focus on something. But there's also uh, something around context, you know. Just being surprised is about um, having yourself in a situation where something happens that you didn't um, expect. It's a little bit like when someone tells a joke. You know, the punchline comes from somewhere you didn't expect and you're surprised. And surprise is great it has a neuro neurochemical impact on on our brains but the thing about wonder and being surprised is different from as you say just noticing something and noticing you know wittgenstein uh, to be philosophical for a moment said that of which i have no language i cannot speak and the thing about noticing is you may not notice something if you don't have language for it if you people you can be in a situation where lots is going on around you but if you you know perhaps a, a, a lab for example if you don't have the language of the lab you won't be un- able to understand and decode what's happening so you don't see it and you won't be able to notice and um, notices maybe things on the periphery I remember when I was studying and, and doing Aikido the the martial art they taught us to be aware of the things behind us and to be aware of things around us and sort of opened up our um, understanding and noticing of, of things that we may not have seen before but the key thing about curiosity for us is that if you notice something or it's something on the periphery or something you're interested in you go there and you start to learn the language and by language i mean all kinds of language you know mm. the, the yeah. physical language and contextual language and so on so there is a big difference between just noticing being surprised and curiosity
0: And you have that motivational side of it. And as you're suggesting, there's a, a, not exactly a prerequisite, but the more that you are aware and have the language, the familiarity with the situation, the more likely you are to link that to wanting to know more about what's changed. Uh, Wittgenstein also said that light dawns slowly over the whole, which is very often my reaction when I'm having these conversations. Yeah, I'll, I'll get it. I'll get it. I just need to take a bit of time. Simon, you're the Chief Learning Officer at Novartis It's an organisational wide initiative on as i understand it being more curious can you tell us how does that work and is that it must be a delight as a chief learning officer to to have an organization to be so curious but also quite a challenge what have you been doing there
1: yep so i would say it's it's broader than an initiative so uh, about two years ago we had a new chief exec um vasnara simon um take up the reins and uh, refocus our culture around being inspired curious and unbossed and so we're we're on a culture journey um which which will span across many years, um, but it means curiosity, curiosity is a key part of our culture. And so behind that, we've built out um, our learning offer to help our associates around the world to be more curious. Um, and there's lots of different ways that we've done that, from providing access to great learning, to making it easier for people to be able to um, interact and access learning, uh, but also to one of the big challenges that we heard from from people was I don't have time to learn <coughs> and my manager doesn't support me in learning. So <laughs> to try and tackle that one, um, we've actually set an aspiration around uh, Novartis Associates spending 5% of their time or 100 hours a year focused on their curiosity and their learning, whether that's formal or, or informal learning. Uh, and that's with the intention to try to, I guess, ch- change that mindset around actually um, learning isn't something I need to do in my spare time or, you know, when... everything else is done actually the company really values learning uh, and we want people to spend time learning because that's how we will have the the skills that will make us successful in the future it will um, create the space that people can ask questions and and innovate and and explore and experiment and and that yeah that's sort of behind why we're we're moving towards this culture of of curiosity
0: Novartis is a global pharmaceutical company it's it's like all pharmaceutical companies, focused on research on development, research and development, and it's also, of course, constrained by a great amount of regulation. That doesn't sound like the natural place necessarily, perhaps the R&D bit, but not the regulatory side of it sound like the natural place for curiosity. So what's, why has that been such a priority?
1: Curiosity, to, to Garrick's definition at the beginning, is around you know, asking the question, you know, I, I wonder if or I wonder, wonder how, and mm. it, whether that's from discovering a medicine in the first place and you know, which molecule is going to cure whichever uh, disease that we're, we're trying to focus on. Or then as you go through that d- drug development process, how do we how do we get the right dose? How do we target it? How do we get it to the right part of the body? All of that is questions and exploration and experimentation to try to to work through and understand how it's going to have the greatest impact. And then as you go through, you know, how, how do we uh, best get this to patients? You've got to be curious about you know, the, what the patient experience is and um, you know, what the doctors mm. need to know, how you package it up and how you manufacture it. Um, you can apply curiosity through all of those steps. So uh, rather than coming in with a um, a very fixed view of it, uh, and this is where it interacts with the other parts of our culture, um, having an unbossed, uh, an unbossed around servant leadership. um, So the view that the the idea comes out from the team. So you have a curious team with an unbossed leader who's encouraging people to speak up, to share ideas, to test things out you end up with a much better solution um, than if you've got an environment where either the leader knows best or people aren't encouraged to be able to ask questions and explore and experiment and and be curious.
0: It sounds absolutely right. If I was running a billion-dollar company, I think I'd be very nervous, though, about letting go of the control that I've been used to having. I'm not suggesting that your CEO is in that position. But it would be it would be a risk. So yeah. hats off to to, to yeah. Bas Narasim then, for for doing that.
1: Yeah, and I guess t- to your point, you know, there there are places where you can do that, and there are places where you can't do that. So mm. to to your point around you know regulation, operating procedures. Uh, when, when we're producing a medicine, it needs to be produced following a process absolutely to the letter sure. so that you know that you get a safe product at the end of it. But you can still be curious within the context of that process. You can go to the process owner and right. say, you oh, I thought maybe we could do this and that will be more effective or whatever. So it's not about, you know, Changing the way that you do things every time, but you can still be curious about it and think, "Is there a better way?" And then go mm-hmm. through the right channels in order to make sure that that, that curiosity comes to light, and then you can experiment, etc. So it, it doesn't necessarily conflict with the regulatory operating procedure piece. It's just finding the right places and the right way uh, in which to apply that curiosity.
0: That's really well explained, Simon. Thank you. And I'm, I'm you know, well aware, as we all are, I think, then. In- pharmaceuticals, you've got these standard operating procedures for everything, they have to be there. Yes. But I love the idea that you can be curious within it, and provided the culture accepts it, then you can go on, perhaps, to change for the better. Paul, there's a model in the book, the seven C's, and again, this is an audio, so when I say seven C's, I mean the letter C, not the seven S-E-A-S, the seven C's of curiosity. Paul, uh, can you talk us very quickly through that, given that we've got the context, we've got the, the definition, we've got uh simon describing what it's like actually having a curious organization what, what are the seven c's you've got and how would you use those to help people get better at being
2: curious sure so uh, there's a curious story about how we came up with the seven c's <laughs> when we when we talk to people and we say what is curiosity as you asked us today almost everybody would have a definition of what curiosity is but if you ask them okay so are you curious yes yes i am curious but then if you say to them so uh are you any good at being curious they say what do you mean i'm just curious i can do that or they say to us well curiosity killed the cat didn't didn't it so why would i even want to be curious and it got us thinking as to can you be better at curiosity is it something that you can work at train like you would train a muscle Mm. in the gym to to be fitter and to be stronger and we think we discovered the answer is yes that there are perhaps not, not necessarily process steps but there's certainly ingredients or elements that seem to be involved in being successfully curious. Yeah. and so we came up with this uh, this idea. Well, as we explored it, you know, there was some around firstly context, exploring exploring the things around you, community, building a, a network of people that help you explore and learn together, and then curation. Curation is about focusing. If you think about a museum curator, uh, choosing what is going to be in their exhibition and what's going to be left out, as a process of curation. Then we suddenly thought that, hang on, these things all seem to begin with a seven letter C. Can we continue this game? Okay, so, so uh, what else is connected to curiosity? We, uh, we had these three Cs around context, community, curation. And we were exploring further with we well, what, what else is involved what, what, in our research. What do we discover? And we then were about, well, as you put it into action, as you bring it to life, this seems to be about creativity, ideating things, making, thinking new ideas. Construction as the next C, putting it into action, and then really importantly, criticality. Because if you if you just continue down the same path without challenging yourself, you start to become a victim of your own bias, not going down new pathways, not exploring further. And then finally, I think excitement gave us this one, as I remember. <laughs> confidence. So confidence is, is almost the most interesting because does confidence come at the end? Does confidence come at the start of being curious? And in the end, we think that they're totally intertwined. You become more confident as you, be, as you are more curious, but without confidence, um, it's almost impossible to start being curious. So you need the two together. So there's your seven C's. Context, community, curation, creativity, construction, criticality and confidence and as you say there's a very nice metaphoric link to the seven seas of the uh, of the oceans around the world.
0: Thank you for that great we've got the seven seas of curiosity there that we can sail you started the list Paul by talking about how you've asked people are you curious and can you be better at it and we tend to regard it as a binary state You've got it or you haven't. But you suggested very strongly that you can
2: get better at being curious.
0: For adults,
2: how do we do that? So um, in lots of ways. We think you can use the seven C's model, if you like, as a checklist for yourself. If you are thinking about exploring something new, I want to learn a new language. I want to travel to a new country. I I want to get better at something or even explore uh, something I've never done so before where do you start in this? Now, my way would be, okay, I'm going to go and join a club. I'm going to go and meet with people that I have no idea how to do this, but they do. And by working with them and learning from them, I'll get better at it. It might just be, I'm going to make something and I'm going to find, I, I want to learn how to code something new. Okay. I'm just going to get in there, do some tutorials and try it. And one of the things that we, we talk about often is failure. Here. Mm. And the idea that one of the things that holds people back is the idea that if I try it, I might well fail, and particularly in the context of a, a large company such as Novartis or any other, often it's not seen as great to fail. Now, we, we know, and Simon's done a lot of work on this there, that organisations that don't see failure as failure, but as something to be celebrated and actually rewarded as part of their journey of being curious and discovering something. new, Recognising things are going to go wrong, they're the ones that are are more successful with it. And then that's about as adults just being open and being aware that if you try something new, you are going to fail. That's just part of the process. Do it in small ways. Garrick likes to talk about uh, low impact, high frequency failure, lots of little failures, rather than. Uh, one big one where you land on your face and it hurts. I
0: think that's a, that's a really good example. I think for Novartis, you can imagine some spectacular failures, which would be critical for the organisation, but smaller ones you can live with. I'm just going to go to Garrick, and then perhaps we could get some some views, Simon, um, mm. from you in a second. Garrick, mm. this idea of small failures where you don't... It's not catastrophic, but you learn from them on the way. Can you tell us more that's about right. that? Yeah,
3: lo- low-impact failure, high volume, high frequency, things where you, you're always... Uh, doing things um, without uh, looking to be successful, but just exploring, exploring, and, and killing your darlings is one of the nice things. You, you, you stop the things immediately where you feel they're not leading down the route that you'd like them to achieve. And so it's a little bit like stabilizers on an airplane again, or, you know, stabilizers on a boat. They f- kind of flutter as they keep things stable, and that may have the same impact. All this little failure um, leads towards success. It's another way that missiles target you know, they, they, they fail and tr- as, they, as they triangulate towards their, their, their target. It's, it's very similar. You fail, you fail, you fail until you succeed. One of the things we were talking about earlier and about that awareness is a linkage to kind of failure and awareness because failure allows you to um, know what you don't want to do and what you don't want to achieve. And you become aware of new things that you may or may not want to include in your journey of discovery. Um, I was thinking when you were talking earlier about um, critical situations where you don't want things to be curious, like, for example, you know, the cockpit of an airplane. You know, you want your pilots to be deep in process and to be highly skilled and you want them to be following process specifically because of, you know, health and safety and so on. But you also want your pilots to be curious and critically aware throughout the flight because that curiosity will make them aware of things that may not be um, specifically, in, on their radar, they may things in the periphery, things they may not um, have have paid attention to, uh, that pop up, and so they become curious, and then they start to figure out what what may be going on. So they're aware, greater aware of their context, and and sort of as Paul was saying, it's like fitness. You can become more and more fit to be aware of other things that pop into your consciousness and then you can ask questions and follow them through. Which is why it's so linked to learning. The better you get at it, the better you get at learning, the better you get at asking questions. Again, that's why we threw in the idea of of, um, criticality because you also don't want to just pursue the things that you like um, or pursue your biases. You want to be able to stop and, and really be critical of, of what you're learning and, and how you're moving forward.
0: That idea of low impact but high frequency failure sounds to be very much like the idea of loving the process, which is something which I think people have embraced in, in high performance in sports, where you what, you get better by by pushing yourself and testing yourself. But I'd like to come, Simon, to you and and look at that Mm. idea of of failure. Uh, In a pharmaceutical company, it sounds like anathema. You wouldn't want to do it. And yet, if you're a curious organisation, you have to have it. So how do you balance
1: those two? So it's an interesting one because as as an industry, pharmaceuticals is... uh, Failure is an inherent part of it because not all drugs pass all the way through and come to market. There is more more that will... fail if you like along the way however actually reframing that that actually it's not a failure it's actually successful science that has discovered that this molecule doesn't actually treat the thing in the way yeah. that you needed it to so there's, there's a reframing piece there for starters and one of one of the things we're, we're trying to focus on is, is around psychological safety and it's a part of the the unbossed piece again is creating the safety that people can experiment try things and fail and experimentation is not always successful by nature if 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 you're trying something (laughs) new if you're pushing the boundaries you you will learn something at the end of that. And sometimes you're successful in in learning that it works, but a lot of the times, you're learning that it doesn't work. But then by repeating that, you can then iterate, try something different, and you'll end up in a much better place versus either not trying at all or trying a very safe way because you you need to be seen to be successful at the end of it. So if you've created the safety that people can push the boundaries, then you will end up over medium or longer term with a much better solution than being taking the safe route because there wasn't a, an environment of, of being able to fail and we have within the seven Cs we have what we call the curiosity engine in the heart of it which is around the process of creativity and construction so the creativity is the the, the what if you know trying to to ask a different question explore something new the, cr- the construction is putting that into practice and then you have the criticality to see what worked at the end of it but if you go through that cycle you, you're 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 saying you're trying something new did it work no okay how what if we try this did that work no but we learned something from it okay what if we now do this and it's almost a sort of agile development process yep. it's you 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 come up with a minimum viable product you test it you you iterate and and you pivot as needed as you go through it so safety is is a key part of that um, and therefore the acceptance of, of failure is is a key part of
0: that you're talking there about curiosity in a way that absolutely shows us how coupled it is to learning but it's learning from well, it could be regarded as mistakes or failures, but yes. otherwise just learning. It doesn't have to be, of course. You can be curious. Why is this? And somebody tells you and there you are. You've learned something and you are more receptive to learning because you were curious in the first place. That is something which I think is pretty well-founded that may be subtleties behind it but if we're curious we're more receptive to the idea of learning something can you tell us any examples of how that's happened at Novartis that you noticed some that getting people into a curious state has just helped people adopt new ideas and be ready to learn whereas in the past perhaps they might not have been
1: yeah so I mean we we have a big focus over the last two years and we're doing it again this year we have a big focus around curiosity and what we call our curiosity month so we actually have a, a whole month dedicated to curiosity and we have it in in September September, so a month's time and uh, we we'll have 170 plus virtual events throughout the, the company virtual this year and it's webinars, it's internal thought leaders, external thought leaders, influencers across the company and, and sharing their ideas, sharing things that people can learn from from across the company and, and that, that will include uh, things that are new but also you know things we've learned from work that we've done. So it's really trying to create that space and environment that people can learn from each other as well as learn from some of the the sort of more structured formal catalogues of learning that we have and and providing that permission to learn by Hmm. uh, coming back to that sort of that space of the five percent of people's time to be able to dedicate and commit to learning.
0: I think the atmosphere and the the sense at work that learning is not something that's tolerated but rather Encouraged
1: Exactly, exactly. And uh, all, all the research around you know, new skills coming, so a third of people having learnt a new-to-world skill in the last three years, that 19% of the um, skills that we have today will be irrelevant in three years. All, all of this is leading both an individual level, we need to be learning to keep ourselves current, but an organisation level, we, we need people to be focusing their time on building these latest skills and learning from each other um, mm. in, in order to stay current.
0: Thank you, Simon. Uh, Garrett, can I just come back to you on this? this idea of the relationship between curiosity and learning. I mean, it's obviously something which is crucial to what you're doing. Can you tell us yeah. more about how you've seen that play out in other work that you're doing?
3: Yeah. So, if you put curiosity rather than focus on learning, it's a little bit like um, we love the quote by Saint Exupery from *The Little Prince*, where he said, "If you want, um, you know, to teach, if you want people to um, to build a boat, don't command them to build a boat and get." the wood and, and, you know, fashion a boat, rather teach them to yearn for the wonder of the deep blue sea and the ocean. And it's that idea of wonder as opposed to to learning. Um, so it's rather than <laughs> then something I have to do, it becomes something that I'm really wanting to do. And if you can build that into everything in, in the workplace, that sense of curiosity and wonder, you, you know, you motivates everybody around you. The other thing from a completely different perspective about this idea of curiosity and wonder is what's happening in the digital age now. You know, now we're faced with an infinite amount of information. And the question is, everybody can, can get information from so many sources. What do we do with it and how do we navigate that? And curiosity is a, a specific way of, of really taking us down roots and, and figuring things out and learning to achieve things using all that we have available to us because of the digital age. I mean, Josh Burson talks a lot about learning in the flow of work, which I'm fascinated about. And we have a a number of great examples from not only Novartis, but also people like IBM, uh, organizations like IBM, organizations like Microsoft, who are really getting their heads around what is the technical infrastructure that can mm. allow information to flow into the context of our everyday work in a way that is useful, in a way that is inspiring, and in a way that kind of t- allows us to uh, succeed beyond our expectations in the moment, in the workplace. And this idea of curiosity, I think, is, is much more about a mindset and an approach to data than it is uh, simply about, oh, I need to learn, or I need to get my learning hours in, or becomes more road learning. It really is about inspiration and wonder and driving things forward on the everyday. Paul,
0: I think Garrick has touched there on something very important I would like to wrap up with, which is the contrast between external and internal motivation for learning. External motivation, you you have to do it. And sometimes actually you do have to learn stuff. You you can't get around it. But by and large, when it comes back to Garrick's point of learning in the flow of work, which is very much au at the moment in, in the world of learning and development, learning in the flow of work has to rely on individual adult workers being curious and picking up on things and learning the motivation there has to come internally rather than externally because you cannot drive people to be curious about things they have to experience it themselves from the inside so paul just give us the golden bullet here at the end the the, the nugget that's going to help us how do we make sure that people are internally motivated how do we create that atmosphere where they feel I can learn from these things not just I can but I want to and I want to go out and see what's happening and how I can improve my work and my performance
2: yeah I love this question Don because um, I'm going through exactly this with my 12 year old son at the moment that he's been uh, studying the piano since he was right. four His mother's a is a pianist and he's now just got to that point he's, he's got pretty good at it but he's now just got to the point where he's saying oh, I really don't want to practice I really don't want to do it so for the last seven years he's been let's say mostly externally <laughs> <laughs> motivated and it's now just reaching that tipping point where yeah. uh, if he doesn't become internally motivated then probably he'll he'll give up and stop so uh, w- what I suppose I've learned from from seeing him do it is a few things um, so one I suppose is about reward that people feel that there's a, there's a close link as we've shown sort of in the book, and I know it's demonstrated in other research about how the brain responds to being curious. Mm. So the more curious you are, you receive the sort of the chemical hormone release in your brain that, that um, is equivalent to when you receive, when you get reward, like if you're fed or, or you get a, a surprise. Uh, that's joyous in some way. So, if the curiosity is linked to reward, then this is um, is good practice for them. The the point about psychological safety that Simon mentioned mentioned earlier that if you can demonstrate to people and they can demonstrate to themselves that they can give it a go and they can and they may not get it right, but that's okay, and that they will continue down the path. And they may even make slightly bigger mistakes, and that's still okay. And that reinforcing of psychological safety, I think, it's not a one-off. It's something you have to keep doing. And, uh, you know, just like uh, that, that wonderful work by mihai uh, Mihai around flow, that as you get more into your curious journey, so you may see greater challenges and, and put yourself at greater risk. And so that just needs to be continually reinforced, that, uh, that psychological um, zone of safety, and I think the the final thing I would I, I would add to that is around curation. That in our digital world we're so overwhelmed with information that technology could be great uh, a great help, but it also could be a, a hindrance. That if I go online and search for something, I might have. Uh, you know, a million, 43 million responses to my my inquiry, which isn't really a good place to start. And of course, there's great tools out there helping us sort through all that, whether it's learning or the TV we watch. But I think helping people put around them the relevant stuff, the relevant information, the relevant yeah. and right people helps them continue on that journey as well. So I think they would be my, my three things about linking to reward and continual reward, reinforcing psychological safety, and then just continually helping to curate. So as you get more into the topic, so the information uh, connects and reveals itself so you can go further.
0: Brilliant, I love that. And I think those three things together, creating the culture of it, helps build the individual confidence, which of course is one of your seven Cs. Uh, We're going to have to wrap up very shortly. The final question we always ask everyone on the Speaks Exchange podcast is, what are you curious about right now? Let's go in reverse order. Let's start with Simon. What are you curious about right now? Don't say curiosity because then we'll have to start the whole podcast (laughs) over again. What (laughs) are you curious about, Simon?
1: So uh, AI and skills is the piece right. that uh, I'm very curious about, the role that that will play in the future. Yeah, I,
0: I share that curiosity. I don't know where it's going to go, but some we'll, we'll share the journey together and find out. Paul, what, what are you curious about right now?
2: So I'm going to say, uh, having just experienced homeschooling through lockdown, <laughs> I'm really curious about where that's going to go. So yeah. our world has taken a massive leap into digital. Everybody, including my own great-grandmother, now can use Zoom. So as we now do that and reintegrate, ourselves physically and with each other socially i think there's going to be a lot we bring forward from this digital uh, experience that we've all had so i think that's my my current curious experiment is where are we going with this sort of digital physical world in the future
0: it's not going back is it that's for sure finally garrick what are you curious about right now
3: <laughs> i'm curious right now about chopin and chopin's piano because uh, during during lockdown I, I i brushed up quite a lot of my chopin when i was needing to motivate myself but the um Chopin's piano his lover George Sand took him onto Mallorca and um, there wasn't a decent piano there, and they sent around all of Europe, and an amazing piano was sent on the back of a truck. Well, it was a you know a, a horse drawn wagon to Mallorca. and on it he composed in this monastery um, his twenty four preludes, which are just you know some of the most brilliant piano work ever um, composed. And that piano then was left on the island and remained there. And there's this incredible story of this piano and how it um, went around the world, and then it was in a in, in some kind of dust heap and somebody found it. And I'm, I'm fascinated about the relationship between um, context and pianos and how it was it that he was able to compose these particular preludes in that ace. And it's all about Chopin's
0: piano for me at the moment. Isn't there a prelude he wrote to do with rain? That he wrote. Yes, in the there is. Book, yeah. Yes, and there is. It was stimulated by him. Absolutely. I, that's my own curious mind. I had these snippets. My mother called me a snapper up of unconsidered trifles, which is a quote from Shakespeare. <laughs> so I don't know where that came from, but yes. Well, I love in trifle. In <laughs> yeah, I'm also a snap-up <laughs> of trifle. That's absolutely true. Uh, gentlemen, thank you very much. Um, the curious conversation could continue uh, forever, but we have to sadly wrap it up with Chopin and piano at the at various levels and with um, all the experiments working with AI and data all the time. Very much looking forward to continuing conversations, one and all. And thank you very much for being on the Speaks Exchange podcast. Thank you. Thank you,
1: thank you for having us. Thank you, thank you.